Praise the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Yes, we have put on kilometers, all right? The last vehicle we, we had, we put on 400,000 kilometers. So, and it's still going. It's not that it quit. It just, you know, I thought it might be better to, you know, to see something else. And we did. Praise the Lord. Good morning, everyone. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. It is a glorious day. If you have not made up your mind yet what kind of a day it is, well, this is the day the Lord has made. Amen. So you may as well just go with the flow. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Praise God. All right. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about something very, very, very basic. It's called the basics of faith. And, uh, you know, this, these messages we've preached over the years, so it's nothing new for those who've been with us for the last years. Oh, is that me? Oh, it's me. Okay. And uh, these are messages that if you've been with us over the years, it won't be anything new. Uh, and I certainly don't mind preaching it all over again because... Uh, our spiritual father, Brother Hagen, set me free uh, from the fear of being redundant because he would say the same things, the same messages, the same scriptures over and over and over and over and over again. And people were wondering, well, why would you do that? Well, you know, you, you got to preach it until you get it. Yeah. Isn't that right? And uh, so we had to hear it for such a long time. After all, faith cometh. Right. If faith cometh, then there's an opportunity for faith to go as well. (laughs) But we want it to come. Right. So faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing (laughs) and hearing by the word of God. Amen. So that's what we want to talk to you about. Lost my notes already. So we got (laughs) to just going to go by. Just going to go with it then, praise the Lord. So these are, uh, I want to give you seven basics of faith. Now, of course, we're not able to go through all seven uh, with you, but we can at least hit on the first three. And I would call the first three actually the ABCs of faith, praise the Lord. Somebody got my phone, and uh, so I can't, I'm totally dependent on someone else right now. That's good. Okay, can you flip to the next page, please. All right. So the seven basics or the seven basic ingredients to grow in faith are written down right here for you. Faith is number one, acting on the word. Number two, faith begins where the will of God is known. Number three, faith is confessing the promises of God. Number four, faith is the ability to trust. Number five, faith is a lifestyle. Oh, I'd like to get off on all of them, but I can't. (laughs) So we'll just take them uh, one at a time. Number six, faith is a spiritual law. And then number seven, faith is a spirit. Or if you don't like that word, you know, some people, and especially uh, in the modern day, they like to talk about culture right? You want to have a culture of something. Well, uh, when you are a person of faith and you get everybody to talk the same way, Bible talk, God talk, then you can't help but create an atmosphere, an environment, a culture of faith around you. Amen. So let's kick it off with number one, that uh, faith is an act. And what do you mean by saying faith is an act? Well, uh, you just got to act on what God says in the same way that you would act on the word of your doctor or your lawyer uh, or a trusted friend. You just act on what they say. If you can act on the word of your trusted friend or a doctor or a lawyer or whoever you trust, then you should be able to act on the word of the living God. Amen. After all, he has never lied to anyone. Isn't that right? He's never lied to to anyone. And I'm just thinking uh, about the time, you remember the time it's written in Acts chapter 27, how that Paul was taken prisoner. He's on his way to Rome. He knew God wanted him to go to Rome. I'm not sure if he knew he was going to go there as a prisoner, (laughs) but he did. He went on, he went on this ship on his way from wherever they were to Rome. 
And, you know, he perceived in his spirit, some people will say the Lord told me. Well, he didn't say it that way, but he perceived in his spirit that this journey that he was going to be on, that they were going to be on, was going to be a perilous one. There's going to be some danger involved. And he told the captain of the ship and the centurion of the, of the Roman military, he told them that this is going to be a journey that's going to be dangerous. And of course, they didn't listen to him because he's just a lowly prisoner. Who wants to listen, listen to a prisoner? So they took off with the ship, and sure enough, it didn't take long, and they hit a storm. And the storm was so bad that they had to strengthen the ship. They call it helps. That's a good word, isn't it? They put ropes around the ship. Uh, the book of Acts called them helps. That's right there is the ministry of helps, huh? right? It, it undergirds the ship. And, uh, you know, and they had to start throwing things overboard. They had to throw cutlery overboard and some of the, some of the uh, cargo that they were carrying. And uh, it got worse and worse. I mean, it didn't get better even after they threw everything overboard or as much as they possibly could. But in the meantime, thank God, Paul heard from heaven. And what he heard from heaven was that they would have to be cast on an island. They would lose the ship and all the cargo, but their lives would be saved. So that's what he told the, the captain of the ship in the military. You know, God told me, he said, or the angel of the Lord who stood with me told me that uh, even though the ship and the cargo would be lost, our lives would be saved because God told them, the angel of the Lord told them, you're going to go to Rome. And the ones who are going to go with you, they're going to be saved as well. So it's not good to know. Sometimes you're the savior of a ship <laughs> or of your business or of your marriage. Praise the Lord. If you stick with what God said. And, um, you know, so, of course, you know, they were a little bit happier. They, got, they were of good cheer. They began to eat something again. But nothing changed for 14 days. For 14 days, nothing changed. Nothing actually changed. It was still dark. It was still stormy. They hadn't seen sunlight. They hadn't seen stars. They hadn't seen anything. It was just a dark, dark storm. And it got so bad that they said, you know what? We're going to have to get rid of everything. And they threw the anchors overboard as well just to lighten the load and, um, and to have some anchors, of course, as well. And there were a bunch of people that didn't trust it at all. So they, they pretended to throw out an anchor. And when they did, they wanted to jump off board as well because they threw some of the lifeboats away. So Paul went to the Roman centurion and to the captain of the ship. And he told them, you know what? If these guys are going to go off the ship and if they're going to go, uh, you know, on one of these lifeboats, uh, their lives won't be, won't be saved. So what did the captain do? He just cut off the lifeboats and let them go. So everybody was forced to stay on board. What I'm saying with that is sometimes when you have to act on the word, don't provide plan B. Amen. How do you know? There's a lot of people that, that you know, just in case is not going to pan out. We have plan B. No. If you know what the word says, you're going to stick with the word. You remember Abram or Sarah came up with plan B, right? Plan B was came to pass. Ishmael came to pass and they're still paying for it. <laughs> they're still paying for plan B. You'll always pay for plan B, right? But if you stick with the word, praise God, then you act on the word of what God said, just like you would act on a word of a trusted friend, then it may not always look overly, you know, comfortable. Uh, you probably wind up going into some unfamiliar territory. You remember Peter? He stepped out of the boat because he told Jesus, Jesus, if that's really you, tell me to come and walk on the water towards you. Jesus said, come. So Peter stepped out of the boat. And even though he had seen the water, he had swam in the water, he had fished the water, he now was operating in unfamiliar territory. He had never walked on it. Amen. Now, of course, everybody will talk about how he sank. And he did sink, but even his sinking was supernatural. Because the Bible tells us he 
Peter beginning to sink. I don't know about you, but I've never begun to sink. Amen. And I've tried. I mean, we were at Bible school, I remember, and we had a bunch of guys and, you know, we were going to see who had the most faith to walk on the water. I think I won that race. I can't say for sure, but I did not begin to sink. I just plunged right straight down, just like everybody else. I think I was a nanosecond longer than everybody else. But Peter, he begun to sink. It was a supernatural sinking. And, you know, he, all the other guys, they were still sitting safely in their boat, probably criticizing Peter. Oh, there's Peter again. There's him again. Him and his big mouth, he stepped out of the boat again. But he had an experience that none of these guys had. He walked on water. So that's the point that I want to make with that as well. I would rather be a wet water walker than a dry boat sitter. Amen. (laughs) Amen. So that just tells me you're going to have to act on the word. Right? And you're going to wind up in some unfamiliar territory. You're going to wind up in some uncomfortable situations when you do. You're going to be in areas you've never, ever been before. You're going to be in areas that you wish to God you were never before. But if you stick with it, the outcome is going to be glorious. Can you say amen? All right. Everything we talk about is based on the following scriptures, Romans chapter uh, four, verses 19 and 20. Uh, I'm just backing up here a little bit where it talks about Abram. It tells us not him, not being what? Weak in faith. He considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was what? Strong, Strong in faith, giving glory to God. So obviously Abram had the opportunity to be weak in faith. But he must have made some choices. He must have done some things for him to be strong in faith. I don't know about you, but if I have, a, if I have a, to make a choice between being weak in faith or being strong in faith, I'm going to make the choice to become strong in faith. Amen. How about you? Yes. Amen. Because, you know, obviously strong faith will give glory to God. Yes. He became strong in faith, giving glory to God. Does that make sense to you? So just like Abram had the opportunity to be weak in faith, you will have marvelous opportunities to be weak in faith. Tomorrow, you'll have another opportunity to be weak in faith. Tuesday, you'll have an opportunity to be weak in faith. Wednesday, you'll have an opportunity to be weak in faith. But what do you do? You pass them by, and instead, you're going to make choices that are going to make you strong in faith. Amen. Strong. I don't know about you, but I like strength. I'm, I'm attracted to strength. People are attracted to strength. They're not attracted to weakness. Did you know that? <laughs> Everything about us needs to be strong. Right? You are strong and healthy in emotions, in your emotions. You're strong in your health. You're strong in faith. You're strong in your willpower. You're strong in your marriage. You're strong in relationships. You're strong in your finances. Everything about you is strong. Amen. Which would include faith as well. So, uh, so the first way for, for us to, uh, to operate in strong faith would really be by acting on the word. That's the number one way. Maybe you can... Uh, Are we there already? Yeah. (laughs) Faith is acting on the word. James chapter 2 verse 17. It tells us this. Even so faith, if it has not works. Now the word works uh, could be translated as corresponding actions. Corresponding actions being dead. So faith, if it does not have corresponding actions attached to it, it is dead. It's dead. It's still faith, but it is dead faith. Now, I know lots of people. I was one of them. I I had faith, but it was dead. You know what that means? It's unproductive faith. 
It's non, non-producing faith. I sat in church for, I don't know how long, for many, many, many years. And I heard that Jesus uh, died for my sin. I heard that he was raised from the dead. But it never benefited me any because I didn't act on it. Part of the reason being I didn't know how. I didn't know how to act on on the word. I just thought, well, yeah, that's in the Bible. I believe that. But, uh, you know, but it came, it came to a climax, so to speak. It came to a climax when someone told me that he already knew he is saved and he already knew he's going to heaven. I thought it was the most arrogant statement that I had ever heard. Who do you think you are? right? You're telling me you already know you're going to heaven. See, I thought he was in pride, not knowing he was speaking from faith. So it took me a little while to figure that out. But, you know, someone told me that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Amen. Now, again, it took me a little while to figure that out, (laughs) right? I didn't dare to act on that either. Right? They told me because I told them. I said, well, I believe that. Well, they said, great. Based on that, you can now say you're saved. I said, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Then I'd be arrogant like you guys are. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. So it took me a little while. But they finally, they, they got so frustrated with, with me because I talked to them and I went around the mountain over and over and over and over again. Ran around the mountain. I said the same thing. I believe that. I believe that's in the Bible. Yes, I believe that. Well, they said, if you do it, if you practice that, if you act on that, then it will be yours. And I didn't dare to do that. Finally, they got so frustrated with me. They said, just say it. <laughs> so I said it. I said, I confess that Jesus is Lord. I believe with my heart that God has raised him from the dead and now I am saved. The minute I said it, I knew that I knew that I knew that I was saved. You got to say it. That's what faith does, right? Acting on the word many times means you just begin to say what God has said. You just begin to agree with what God has said. How can you walk with God unless you agree with him? How can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos chapter 3 asks that questions, asks that question. So you can't walk with anybody. You cannot have fellowship with anybody unless there's agreement. Amen. You can't walk with God unless you agree with him. That would just mean this. You're going to just say yes to him. Just say yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. I may never have experienced that. It may not fit in my, in my mental capacity. <laughs> I don't quite get it. I don't uh, really think it's my opinion either. But throw all that out and just begin to say yes to the Lord. Say yes to his promises. Yes. Why? All of his promises are what? Yes, yes and amen. Right now, they are yes to you. Whatever God has promised you, whether it is salvation, the forgiveness of sin, whether it is healing, whether it is peace, whether it's prosperity, shalom, everything, everything is in there, right? It belongs to you. You got to say yes to it. Can't say maybe to it. You can't say, you know, well, you know, if everything pans out, I guess, (laughs) I guess it's okay. No, no, no. You got to have to say a firm yes to the promises of God and let that yes take you to places you've never been before. Amen. Amen. All right. So faith requires corresponding actions to be effective. Now, everything, you know, if you have works before faith, that's exactly what it is. It's works. And they don't count, do they? Everything you do before faith does not count. Amen. If you were water baptized as a little baby, you know, that was done for your parents, right? They wanted to raise you up in the ways of the Lord. That's good. You know, I mean, you know, they have the outcome because you're here. But really, baptism, water baptism should be done after you believe. He who believes and is baptized, right? So baptism before you were born again, before you had faith, is a work. It's, you know, I mean, it 
I guess it counts for your denomination. <laughs> I guess it counts for your parents. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. You want to honor your parents. But when it's all said and done, if you want to uh, operate God's way, f- f- uh, works or corresponding actions, always, always, always follow faith. Amen. Yes. Amen. This is how you got to operate, right? You got to be a doer of what you have heard. Not just a hearer only, but you're going to have to be a doer of what you've heard. All right, number two, faith begins where the will of God is known. Now, you, if, let's follow Abraham. You can follow the steps of the faith that Abraham had. Romans chapter 4 tells us this. And uh, Abraham, you know, he got to the point that he said, okay, Lord, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here from Genesis 12 all the way through 15. <laughs> uh, God promised him uh, not only a child, but a piece of land to put the child and the rest of the offspring in. And uh, he, you know, God told him that and he followed up on that. He left Ur of the Chaldees. And he came to the land that in the future would be his land and his offspring's land. And uh, so it was all nice, you know, everything was fine. But Abram got to the place that he wanted to have some guarantees. Right? If somebody offers you a million dollars, you know, wouldn't you have a, wouldn't you want a little bit of guarantee with that? Such as, you know, like, well, okay, if I get a million dollars, I'd like to, you know, purchase some things. But... Uh, I mean, I, I really appreciate your word, but uh, can I go out and buy what I want to buy because you promised me a million dollars, right? You know, you can only do that if you have some guarantees. So Abram went to God and uh, he first told them all the problems. He said, you know, Lord, uh, you promised me a child. And the next guy in line is this, this Eliezer from Damascus. Right, because if I'm if I die, then he's gonna get all of the stuff that you promised me that was gonna go to my child. Was gonna go to my child. I still don't have a child. I'm 90 years of age at this moment. So uh, uh, you know, so there's a problem. Behold, he said. Behold, Lord, there's a problem here. And how many of you know? We always like God to see what we see. Right? We always want to drag him down to where we live and get him to see what we see because it's horrible. If you would, if you, Lord, if you would know what I go through, you'd might, you would talk like I do as well. And you might feel the way that I do as well. Have you seen what the government did lately? <laughs> you, might, you want to talk like that. People talk like that. They want God to see what they see. On the other hand, God wants us to see what he sees, right? So he told Abram, he said, okay, Abram, let me, let me help you out. Let me give you a picture. Look up in the sky. And if you're able to count all the stars, then you have an, an inkling of what I'm going to do with your offspring. Wow. Yeah. And if, if you can't see that far, <laughs> then look at Look at the beach. Go to the beach and count all the kernels of sand because then you have an idea, an inkling of what I'm going to do with your offspring. Because you're not just going to be the father of a nation, but the father of many nations. As a matter of fact, I'm going to change your name from Abram to Abraham. So, but... Before we got there, you know, as, as we were getting there, Abram asked this question. He asked this question. He said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? With other words, how will I know this? How will I know this for sure? Right? I mean, I, I appreciate you telling me, but I want more than you just telling me. So the answer came back to him and said, okay, get me a heifer. Well, that makes sense, right? When you ask a question and the person says, get me a heifer. <laughs> but Abram knew exactly what's going to happen. You know, he had to come up with not only a heifer, but some other animals as well, including some pigeons. And then Abram, he cut them right down the middle, except for the, for the birds. He's making a covenant. God is making a blood covenant with Abram. Amen. Now, because God doesn't have any blood, 
you know, those animals to God's place. But he cut a covenant with him. Of course, that covenant has been upgraded from animals to the precious blood of Jesus. Right? Every promise that you have is written and guaranteed by the blood of Jesus. That's quite something. Isn't it? It's written in blood. Now, when you write up a contract, you know, on earth, then it's usually done with ink, right? And really, you know, when it's all said and done, if you want to get out of it, all you got to do is get yourself a good lawyer. You can, you can get out of it because of it's just ink. But if it's written in blood, there's no way out. There's no way out except death. Except death. So that's how powerful a blood covenant is. So once God cut the covenant with Abram, Abram knew, you know, it's not only the highest person, the highest authority in the universe has just told me what's going to happen, but he also promised me this with blood. Woo! I don't know about you, but there's some guarantees. There's some guarantees. So you ought to be able to act on the word, right? (laughs) And of course it begins where uh, your faith will begin where the will of God is known. If you don't know what the will of God is, you better find out what the will of God is first. Now, a lot of people, what they do is they try to, they try to muster up some more faith. Ooh, if only I had a little bit more faith. Ooh, (laughs) if only. I had the, had the gift of faith operating in me. Then things would really happen. No, 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 no. What you got to know is you got to know what is the will of God. Because the more convinced you are about the will of God for you, the easier it is for you to operate in faith. Amen. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Praise the Lord. All right. Number three is faith confesses the promises of God. Faith confesses the promises of God. Romans chapter 10 verses 6 through 8. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise or in this way. Say not in your heart. Don't say in your heart. Who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what does it say? What does righteousness say? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That's what we preach. We preach the word of faith. Not ashamed of it. Not ashamed of it. Amen. You know, I had a... I had a uh, forget it. <laughs> but the righteousness which is of faith, the righteousness which is of faith, so obviously there's different kinds of righteousness out there. Self-righteousness, right? There's a lot of people that operate in self-righteousness. You know, Lord, look what I've done. You know, and they, they daily remind the Lord of what they have done. Or they will use someone else as their stepping stone to become more righteous or to give themselves uh, a better image, right? Lord, I'm so glad, the Pharisees said, God, I'm so glad I'm not like this, you know, like this sinner over here, uh, like this tax collector over here, because they were hated. (laughs) The tax collectors were hated, you know, back in those days. You know, these days they got smarter. They don't have tax collectors. They'll just add it to your account or they just add it to the price, right? So you don't know it, (laughs) but it's there, right? So back in those days, they had tax collectors. They would go out, knock on your door, collect taxes for the Roman government. And while you're at it, you better pay me some too, because I can help you. (laughs) I can help you. So these people were hated. So the Pharisees said, you know, I'm so glad I'm not like him. Well, what would that be? That's called self-righteousness. Then there's the righteousness of the law, right? Some people, they, they get all of their righteousness from doing everything just right, right? I mean, just lining it all up. They got their list ready. I got to do this. I got to do that. And woe to you if you mess up their list. <laughs> 
right? Because then everything falls apart. My whole schedule is out of whack. So that's another form of righteousness. But the righteousness, which is of faith, that's the one we're looking for. The righteousness which is of faith. Because that's the righteousness that Abram had. Abram did not follow any laws. Right? He, he didn't do everything just right. Did you know that? God told him, leave Ur the Chaldees. Leave your family behind. What did he do? Well, he left Ur, but he took his family with him. Yeah. Didn't he? Yeah. And it took him a while for them to disappear. <laughs> so, but finally he did you know, get to the place that's just between him and the Lord. Yeah. Right? So he didn't do everything just right, but he believed God. And the Bible says it was counted to him for righteousness. With other words, uh, if you see the books, you know, there's all the sin have been wiped out, wiped clean. And uh, it's everything that Abram did was based on what he believed. And he believed what God said. So he was made righteous or he was, it, righteousness was counted to him. You and I have a much, much better covenant because righteousness is not accounted to us. But you literally have become the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. I remember, you know, in my early days of Christianity, went to this charismatic church and we'd sing the song and I'd shed a few tears, <laughs> right? I am covered over by the blood of Jesus. And I'm, oh, no, how did it go? I am covered over with the robe of righteousness which Jesus purchased for me. But it left the impression with me that, you know, God had to kind of tolerate me because Jesus paid the price for me. You know, he had to love me. He didn't really want to, but... You know, but because Jesus paid the price, he, he just loved me, but he couldn't really stand me. But so if I would come into the throne room of grace, then Jesus had to quickly come, right? And stand between him and me so that, you know, that awful sin and that awful image, you know, and that awful flavor that, that permeated out of me would not hit him because he couldn't stand it. He couldn't stand it. I mean, yes, I'm coming to heaven, but, you know, I'm just kind of tolerated. Just kind of tolerated. That's kind of the, the impression that I had from singing that song, right? I'm covered over by the blood of Jesus. You know, we are covered with the robe of righteousness. Uh, uh, sounds nice. Sounds nice, but it's not totally true. It's not totally true because you literally, you have become the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. The reason why you have a robe of righteousness is because you become right with God. With other words, you can march into that throne room of grace any time of the day and talk boldly. Right? Just like when my kids come over. Right? When my kids come over. Wouldn't it be awful? Wouldn't it be awful if you would, you know, watch us, you know, you are to fly on the wall and you come into our home and, uh, you know, you see us us operating, I'm sitting in my nice lazy chair, feet on the table, eating an ice cream sandwich. And my youngest son, Marcel, you know, he comes crawling up to me on all fours. And he crawls up to me, oh so unworthily. And he says, in a King James Version style speech, Father, <laughs> Father. I am so unworthy. I shouldn't even be living here at home. I didn't take out the trash. I didn't wash the car. I didn't make my bed. I didn't do any of such things. And I see you have this nice ice cream sandwich in your hand. I know I'm not worthy of it. But could I please lick the wrapper? <laughs> Wouldn't you think that is a dysfunctional family? That's a very dysfunctional family. Isn't that right? But you know what? That's how Christians talk. Right? You know, when you go to the supermarket, when you go to Walmart, you know, you walk, you walk into that store and you think you got some rights. And when somebody takes some rights away from, from you, someone butts in front of you, you let them know without beyond a shadow of a doubt how you feel about them. You know, I was here first. You go back to the line where you belong. Right? I mean, you stand up for your rights. Right? Most people do. 
They come to church. Oh, Lord, I'm just so unworthy. I, nothing, nothing that's written in this word belongs to me, actually. Like it's, it's, I, I don't deserve any of it. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Right? Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12 says, giving thanks unto the Father for all things because he has made you meet. <laughs> that's M-E-E-T. That's King James, right? And that's what all people think. He's going to make meat out of you. Mince meat out of you. No, no, no. <laughs> he has, you know, he has, he has made you fit, worthy, and qualified. To be a partaker of the saints in light. You know what that means? You are worthy of every blessing. Of course you're not. You're not bragging on you. I understand that. But let him who glories, let him glory in the Lord. It's okay for you to talk about all that you are in Christ. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong for you to talk about all the things that you possess in Christ Jesus. You better talk that way. Otherwise, you begin to talk like the world. Well, I'm not worthy of anything. I don't amount to anything. My kids don't amount to anything either. You know, they're never going to. That's how people talk. You don't want to talk like that, do you? Amen. Faith is confessing the promises of God. So the righteousness which is of faith has a certain way. Faith has a particular manner of speech. It is really, it's God talk. How does God talk? Well, Romans chapter 4 and verse 17 tells us this. Oh, man, those people down below are really good. Alicia, you're really good. Yeah. So you can talk to the Lord. You can talk to Alicia. So, whew, what a church. <laughs> as it is written, as it is written, I have made you. Right? That's what God said. I have made you a father of many nations before him or like him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. What does God do? How does he talk? He doesn't always talk like, well, you know, you just got to call a spade a spade, right? You just got to call it as it is. Well, that's true at some levels. You got to deal with facts. But once you know the facts, you can change the facts if you don't like them by faith. Right now, don't throw the facts away. You know, you, you do need facts, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with you getting a doctor's report, but that's not the last word. Amen. There's nothing wrong with you hearing from other people what's going on, but that's not the last word. Amen. You've got the last word. Isn't that right? So how does God talk? Well, he calls things which be not as though they were. Well, what, what does that mean? Well, he talks as though it's already happened. Right? He's already told you. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 24, by whose stripes you were healed. Now, you might say, well, if I were healed, if I was healed, you know, uh, that's news to me. Because my body is telling me something totally different. So what do you do? You have to go with a higher authority. Isn't that right? I mean, you, got, you have sense knowledge operating the, all the information that comes to you through the five physical senses, and it carries weight. But you have to let the Word of God call the shots. Yes. Amen. It's your final authority. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so that's how God talks. Now, notice how God does not talk. He does not, he does not call those things which are as though they're not. Because that's called lying. Denial. Sick. Oh, I don't have any sickness in me. No, don't have any sickness. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think. Bills, I don't have any bills to pay. You know, problems, I don't have any problems. See, that's lying. That's lying. That doesn't work. But what does work is you, if you acknowledge the problem, but don't quit talking until you have talked your covenant with God. Amen. That's how Jesus talked. He said, in this world, you shall have tribulation. That's a promise. It's not a promise that's on your fridge. It's not framed on your wall. But in this world, you shall have tribulations. But 
whatever comes after the but is greater than the tribulations. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Paul talked that way. You know, he said, um, uh, you know, he's talking about an, an incident in which everybody left him. Right? No man stood with me. Right during that time. He was going through a very difficult time. And he told Timothy, he said, no man stood with me. Notwithstanding, he said, there's your notwithstanding clause, right? You as a believer should have a notwithstanding clause for everything the devil says. Because <laughs> it tells you the opposite. But, you know, you could say it the same way. But the Lord stood with me and he delivered me out of the mouth of the lion. Amen. So there's nothing wrong with you recognizing and acknowledging that there's a problem, but don't quit talking until you have talked your covenant with God, until you have confessed the promises of God. Can you say amen? God calls things which are not as though they already are. Amen. As though they are, it's already happened. He said, I'm going to change your name, Abram, Abram, from Abram to Abraham. Which means, which literally means, I have made you the father of many nations. Literally, the word Abraham means the father of many nations. Every time Abraham introduced himself, you know, I used to be Abraham, but now I'm Abraham. How you doing? <laughs> uh, he was literally saying, I'm now the father of many nations. <laughs> they thought, they thought the, father of, the father of many nations. The dude is almost 100 years of age. He's 99 years of age. Grandma is 90. And he says, I'm the father of many nations. Now, they didn't laugh to heart because he signed their paycheck. <laughs> but that's what he began to say. He began to say things differently. Right? It's God talk. That's how God talks. That's how God talks. So there's things you just can't talk. You can't say anymore. You can't talk about how insignificant you are. You can't talk about how unworthy you are. You cannot talk about how unrighteous you are. You can't say anymore, I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace. That sounds nice, right? but it's not the truth. The truth is you were a sinner. You got saved by grace. And that grace changed you forever from a sinner to the righteousness of God. Amen. Amen. Now, some people have a hard time with that, but you got to read your Bible. You got to read the Bible and not only read it, uh, you know, believe it and act on it. Say, say what God has said about you. So learn to talk like God. First Corinthians chapter three and verse one will tell you this. You can go to the next slide right there. However, brethren, you know, you got to learn to talk like God, right? Did you know that? You can't just you know, you're not born that way to talk like him. You're born into a system that you talk like the world. That's just normal, right? You can't really blame anybody for that because you've never been taught that. But now that you're in church, right? Now that you've become a believer, now that you are in Christ Jesus, you've got to learn to talk different. And most people equate that, well, I can't cuss anymore. Well, yeah, that might be all right. <laughs> that might be all right. You know, that might be a great start. I'm not saying anything about that. But there's a lot of other stuff you can't say anymore. You just can't say anymore. This is what Paul said. However, brethren, I could not talk to you as to spiritual men, but as to non-spiritual men of the flesh in whom the carnal nature predominates as to mere infants in the new life in Christ, unable to talk yet. Unable to talk it. Baby Christians don't know how to talk. Just like natural babies don't know how to talk. No, they think they can, you know, and they are talking. I'm not saying they're not talking. They're talking, you know, my second youngest grandson, Brooks, for instance, he'll walk up to me and he begins a whole story. Sometimes it feels like he starts in mid-paragraph somewhere. And so I want to know what he's telling me. So I lean over and I have to say to him, can you say that one more time, please? And so he says it one more time. And I have to ask him again, can you say that again, please? Because usually I can pick up one word and then I can make something out of it. But there's many times that I can't. And he gets very frustrated with me, right? And instead of making it clearer, 
he begins to talk louder. <laughs> Amen. He's almost banging his fist on the table. Why don't you get what I'm saying? So, so wouldn't it be horrible like if I, if I would accuse him from not being able to talk? You know, would I, wouldn't it be horrible if I would say, you know what, you better grow up and start talking better before I'm going to give you a decent answer. You can't talk like, you can't say that, right? Because they grow up and begin to talk with words that you can follow and understand. So you got to be that way with other people as well. When you hear someone say the wrong thing, you just don't walk up to them and say, well, you're saying the wrong thing, you know. If you quit saying that, your life would be a lot better. It's true, but it, <laughs> it's probably true, but it doesn't help them. It doesn't help them. So what do you do? You help people, you train people, you develop people in saying things. In saying things. Does that make sense to you? What can I say? What can I say? Romans chapter 10. Verses 9 and 10. That if you shall confess with your mouth. See, this comes right after the verses we read previously. You know, but the righteousness which is of faith speaks in this matter, in this way. Don't send your heart. You know, who's going to go to hell for me? Who's going to go to heaven for me? That's all been done. Everything that needed to be done for you to have a secure, guaranteed promise has been done. Isn't that exciting? Yes. Amen. So you don't have to do anything anymore. All you got to do is learn to talk. Learn to talk. The righteousness which is of faith speaks on this way. But what does it say? Uh, this is the word of faith which we preach. That if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now, we always use that to get people born again, get them to heaven. But this applies for everything. This is the standard. Jesus is Lord is the standard. So everything you say must be in line, in agreement with the fact that Jesus is Lord. Everything. How are you doing, brother? Well, not too good under the circumstances. Does that glorify Jesus? No. What are you doing under the circumstances? Right? You've been raised up to be seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in the world we are in now, but in the one that is to come. Right? You're not under the circumstances. You're not under the weather. You're not under the lordship of Jesus. Amen. You've been taken out of his dominion. And now you have been placed in the kingdom of God's dear son. Amen. You've been transplanted. Amen. Not only did you change, but your environment has changed. Aren't you glad? All right. <laughs> So that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, uh, you will be saved. That also means you'll be healed. It also means you'll experience restoration. It also means your family will be saved. It's all included. Yes. Amen. It, you know, when Paul, when Paul told the Roman centurion and, he told the, and when he told the captain of the ship, right, uh, you know, it's going to be all right. We're going to be saved. It's the same word. So... You know, whatever you need to be saved from is included in the word salvation. Isn't that good news? Praise the Lord. So it's, it's all part of it. For with the heart man believes unto, that means resulting into righteousness. Just like Abram, right? He believed the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. So when you believe something, God says, that's exactly right. Amen. That's exactly right. That's what I'm looking for. That pleases the Father. And with the mouth, confession is made. See, that's what makes it real. You believe with your heart, resulting into righteousness. But now you want that righteousness and that salvation to become manifested in this physical realm. In your flesh, in your body, in your, in your mind, in the things 
in your affairs. Isn't that right? So how does that happen? And with the mouth, confession is made resulting into salvation. All right. What faith sounds like? That's the next one we already talked about a little bit. We're going to quit with this as well. Right? After all, it's 1130. Uh, <laughs> What faith sounds like. John chapter 16, verse 33, we've already mentioned that uh, Jesus made this statement in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, if you go back to the book of Exodus, or actually the book of Numbers, you remember when uh, Israel came out of Egypt, they were promised. To go into the promised land, the land that flows with milk and honey. They said, okay, that sounds nice, but can we send a few spies to make sure that what God has said is true? Okay, you can send 12 spies. So the 12 spies went. They came back with the fruit of the land. They said, sure, sure. Well, everything that God has said, 10 out of the 12 said this. 10 out of the 12 said this. Yes, sure, what God said is true, but, but whatever comes after the but, does away, takes away the power of what God had just said. But there's also giants there. God didn't say anything about the giants. Now, were they lying? Yet, no, they were not lying. They were talking about the giants that God never said anything about. Right? So you gotta have to, you're going to have to make some choices. Are you going to go with what you see and experience, or are you going to go with what God has said? I don't know about you, but I've made up my and now we've made up our mind many, many, many years ago. We're gonna live by faith. We're gonna say what God says. We're gonna say what He says about everything. Amen. About our life, about our marriage, uh, about our home, about our family, about everything. We're gonna say what God has said. Amen. Notice what. Uh, Peter, or I should say Paul said, he talks about persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconum, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but, but, so he talks about his problems, right? And he didn't mince any words. I had a hard time, but, <laughs> but out of them all, the Lord delivered me. That's the way to talk. Amen. Don't start with the promise and then add a but to it because you take away the power of the promise. Amen. But it's okay for you to start with the problem but finish off with a big bang. Woo. But God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. But God has said, by his stripes you were healed. But God has said, but God has said, Something, but God, who is rich in mercy, are you out there? Amen. Let's all stand up.